Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Coverage continues now. Gives to Estime. He leaps at the one and goes over the strike. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozing to the end zone, and he's in. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Low snap, hands off inside to Estime. 10 5. He'll get there. Touchdown, Notre Dame. We are back on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speed, 525 at WSBT, along with ABC 57's Allison Hayes, Darren Pritchett with you. We've got some Notre Dame topics ready to go, so let's get started with our hat trick of opening topics. We start with this. Clemson knocks off Notre Dame on Saturday down in Death Valley. The Irish are now just a 7-3 football team. The first of two questions in our opening topic, Allison, how do you define what the Irish offense accomplished or tried to accomplish Saturday against Clemson? Hmm. Words that come to mind, stagnant, conservative, head scratching. It just, it's once again, that offense is just, it's not clicking and you're questioning some of the play calls and the game plan, really, the, the scheme that was brought in and, and wanting to slow everything down. And I don't think that is to Sam Hartman's forte, yeah. slowing things down. It, it's like he's getting into his own head. He's like, you need almost tempo for him to keep him going and clicking, and, and he doesn't have to think, and, and he's able to just kind of get into a flow. And I don't think he's able to do that right now with the way that Jared Parker has been calling the games. And when, then you look at the defense, and that one was even more perplexing to me. I didn't see a ton of pressure on the quarterback, which they had been doing and having success with. And then the backup running back goes <laughs> off. 36 carries? I mean, holy cow. For 186 yards, two touchdowns by Phil Maffa. I mean, he just absolutely dominated them. Dabo's game plan coming in, just dominate in the and win the battle in the trenches. And they took pressure off of Cade Klubnick, their quarterback, and just let that run game do its job. And really, Notre Dame's defense didn't have a lot of answers. I'm not putting it on the defense by any means, mm-hmm. but... They gave up 186 yards rushing on the ground and, and two touchdowns. And so it, just, it was just overall the whole game was just like, what is going on here? Well, offensively for me, just the whole thought process of what they were trying to accomplish was a little bit mystifying. That does not take away from the fact that Sam Hartman had a poor game yes. on Saturday. And it was a day in which he threw a pick six, a throw that just can't be made. There were missed opportunities down the field. So much went into the offensive effort, but I guess I'm still just a little confused. When you've got the ability to run the football the way they did in the first half, I mean, they put together some really good rushing attacks, and of course Sam Hartman had to do a little running himself more than we're used to. 
But when you're getting the job done running the football in the first half, I'm just not understanding why you don't take shots and play action. Well, especially down, what, 24-6 at that point, going into halftime, you're in a hole at that point. You can't run the clock out. Clemson had to be thinking, hey, we got to stop the run. And again, after Marcus Freeman told us last Monday in the press conference, we have to take shots. Even if we don't connect, we have to take shots. Was that just for the media? Saying it. Or did he want that done and his offensive coordinator decided not to do it? We'll never know. But the fact that the head coach said he wanted it and it didn't happen makes you wonder. Is there a communication problem or is the offensive coordinator on an island at this time? And then you get to the second half. Xavier Watts comes up with the interception. You get the ball at the two-yard line. Estime scores. I mean, you're right back in the game, right? 24-16 at that point. And there's no reason to panic in the third quarter of that game. Yet, Audric Estime got two carries the rest of of the ball game. That's crazy. That is insane. It is an absolute misjudgment on play calling in that situation. The passing game was having a tough day and to just rely on that. Now, to be fair, they were put in some tough spots deep in their own territory. It just seemed like every possession started inside the 20, but it doesn't mean you don't Inside the 10 on a lot of those. Their punter was the MVP in that game. (laughs) But there's no reason to abandon the run game. There's plenty of time. There's no reason to panic. I don't know what the feel like was watching it on TV, but being there in person, it it never felt like Notre Dame was really even in the game. When it finished out and it's an eight-point game, it was like, wow, it felt like it was a 20-point loss, not an 8-point loss, a 30-point loss. I mean, it just they never felt like they were really in it. And that environment, to its credit, it is different. It is just different in the South. It was electric in there, and the, the color, the, the orange inside of that stadium. And, I mean, these guys, they need to be able to overcome that type of thing. And, and it wasn't that it was that hostile. It was not nearly as hostile as Louisville. But it just, they just were never in it. it. They were never fully, I don't know, it just, nothing felt like it was really kind of clicking. Hmm. It was just a mystifying offensive game plan. Yeah. And again, Marcus says it all the time. Execution had to be better. And there was a lot of execution issues. But unlike the head coach, we can't sit here and tell the fan base that, oh, everything's fine with the strategy and the play calling because if you watch the game, just things that did not make sense throughout this contest. And, and defensively, not even got hurt in the first half, but in the second half, they shut the door. They gave the offense a chance to win this football game. Clemson's offense tried to give Notre Dame the football game, Klubnik, and turning the ball over. But unfortunately, the Irish could never take advantage, and they fall by eight points. Okay. To topic number two, how would you define Marcus Freeman's second season to date? Well, again, in a word, disappointing. This was the season, I think, when you had all of these pieces that were sort of coming together that you thought, okay, you've you've got the quarterback, you've got 
you looked at that schedule and you had those tough three matchups. And last year against those same big three, Notre Dame went one and two against them. And this year, Notre Dame went one and two against them. So it was just it's just disappointing. There there were there are opportunities. There were opportunities on this schedule to make a difference and to say Notre Dame deserves to be in this top tier. Notre Dame is in the upper echelon. And then when they have a down Clemson team, they still can't get the job done. You know, when I define Marcus Freeman's season to date, a lot of things come to mind. But also two things that I think were out of his control that did not help him this season. Number one, Having to go to Dublin to start the year, I don't think is the best thing for the football team in reaching their ultimate goals. That was the first of eight straight games, and you're going overseas to start your year. It's a lot of extra travel. Throws off the next week. I know you played Tennessee State, but Nick Saban doesn't play overseas. He also doesn't play uh, any out of conference schedule that's even remotely decent for the most part. Yeah, I mean, he played Texas on the road last year and Texas home this year, but I, I get what you're saying. But I just don't think that's ideal for a football team. That's just a lot to ask in your first game of the year, knowing you have eight straight weeks of football. So I have more of a problem with the eight straight weeks of football and the way that was scheduled. I, I, that makes no sense to well, me. I think Dublin has a lot to do with Well, yes, too. you're right. To get that in, they have to play in, in, in that week zero to be able to get that trip in. Um, they yep. won that game. They seemed to bounce back from it okay. Where My problem was eight straight weeks, no breaks, and we saw what looked like a battered and tired team against Louisville. So I wasn't a fan of that, still not a fan of that. And also, I don't think we'll ever get the answers to this, but did Marcus Freeman get the guy he ultimately wanted as the offensive coordinator? No. The guy that he brought to town, the guy that it seemed like we were pretty far down the path, is still coaching in Salt Lake City, Utah. So something seemed to happen I hear a lot of whispers. I'm not going to report whispers, but something ultimately happened. Because who wouldn't sign on after watching a Notre Dame hockey game? I mean, seriously. (laughs) But seriously, if Marcus isn't going to get the guys that he wants, that puts him at a disadvantage, and it just feels like he had to go to the bargain bin. Yes, for sure. The wheels were coming off at that point, and he had to salvage it by bringing – pulling up Jared Parker from within and then writing the narrative that, yeah, he's the guy and you trust him and he knows the system already and he can make it his own. And that just never felt like, even then, I don't think any of us bought it at that time and now we're seeing it as it's playing out. So I'm not Marcus Freeman's agent. I'm not trying to make excuses for him for this 7-3 and three campaign, but I just felt like there were a couple of things that, went against him out of his control that made his job a little more difficult this year than possibly it should have been. Okay, number three, with Notre Dame at 7-3 and and coming off a frustrating loss to Clemson, 31-23, has the last month, or maybe even the Clemson game, however you want to go with this question, has it changed the way you feel about the possibilities for Notre Dame in 2024? Yes, 100%. 
I think there's a lot more concern now. That that schedule next season, short of starting out with Texas A&M, they've got a pretty decent yes. road to travel. But you know they're starting with another quarterback, a new quarterback, and quite possibly another offensive coordinator, and quite possibly another defensive coordinator. And then you start, how, who knows how many other pieces are going to start uh, moving on and falling out of place for him as well. So, yeah, I, I think you do have to have some concerns, and you do have to start looking to that future while still finishing out this season strong. And let me just mention this. We've referenced 2024, the schedule. This is what it's looking like. You open at Texas A&M. Now, as I go through this, we lost Miami of Florida off the schedule, and the rumors are they're going to replace them with Army. Mm. So... We are just going to see Army up front. Not sure where they're going to go in the pecking order. Maybe November 23rd. There's an opening there. But anyway, here's what the schedule looks like at Texas A&M. Tough one. Yeah. Home against Northern Illinois, who's actually a pretty good MAC team. At Purdue. Miami of Ohio. Louisville at home. Stanford at home. At Georgia Tech in the home of the Atlanta Falcons, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Then you take on Navy in East Rutherford, New Jersey. I like the commute there. Florida Mm -hmm. State at home, Virginia at home, and at USC. So you're probably four big ones at Texas A&M. I'll think Louisville still might be pretty good. Florida State at USC. Those are the four big ones and the others are very winnable as we sit here today. But in this world with NIL and people transferring the Wake Forest coach today, Dave Clawson said some of his kids are already getting outside inquiries about moving on to other places. So that's already started. Wow. So you never know. But that's a very doable schedule in a year in which 12 teams make the playoffs. Okay. So with that being said, has – The last month or the Clemson game changed the way you feel about the possibilities for 2024. I thought about this in my hotel room after the game Saturday. I was at Penn State getting ready for a Notre Dame hockey game. And I actually, not talking out loud to myself, but I was thinking, you know, does this change the way I feel about next year? Because it does feel like, They haven't taken a step back from last year. But at the same time, I do feel like we have lost ground from the end of the Brian Kelly era. I don't feel like we're as far along, two years removed from Kelly. And I just imagine there's going to have to be some changes in personnel and on the coaching staff in order to start moving back toward and beyond what Brian Kelly did. Let's remember his last five years, he averaged 10 wins per year. Now, a couple of times he needed bowl wins to get to 10, so I want to be fair. True. But 10 wins per year was the standard in Brian's last five years. We're at nine last year. We should get to nine in the regular season with a chance to win a bowl game to get to 10. So, That's not bad, but I just don't look at record. I look at where the program is, where it is going, the pluses, the minuses, and I do feel like we have taken a minor step back from the end of the Kelly era. Can it go in the opposite direction quickly? Yes, but again, your quarterback's gone, your left tackle is likely gone, your running back is likely gone. 
You've got some young parts in that offensive line that people feel good about. I've heard Wagner could be the left tackle. Maybe go to the transfer portal there. you got a lot of questions at linebacker who comes back. So there's just a lot of things that I feel like has to change or improve in order for this team to get back to where they want to be. And it helps. 12 teams make the playoff next year. Now, not being in a conference, you're not going to be able to win a conference championship to get one of the top four spots in the playoff. So you're going to have to play in the first round every year as an independent. And I guess at the end of the day, that's better than not making the playoff at all. But yeah, I do feel like, Allison, that we've taken a step back. Can things turn around quickly? Absolutely. But it's going to take some tweaking throughout this entire football program in order to get to the ultimate goal or even be in position to reach the ultimate goal and it's just that consistency we're just they're consistently inconsistent so just when you start to think you've got a beat on where they are and where they're headed they take steps back and then you say wow wow where did that come from why is this happening now facing wake forest should they right the ship yes in theory right but I feel like both Wake and Stanford are on maybe a little bit of an upswing on for their program at this point in the season where it feels like Notre Dame has now taken steps backward again and so that's where you just you really don't know what you're going to get from game to game Allison Hayes from ABC 57 I'm Darren Pritchett 542 is our time Coming up next, Sam Hartman said, blame me for the loss against Clemson. Should we? We'll talk about that in a couple of moments. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT. Winning athletic teams often talk about their culture. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. Also joined by Allison Hayes from ABC 57, 547 at Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Got a couple of more Notre Dame topics to get to. First off, from the loss to Clemson, Irish quarterback Sam Hartman. It was a tough day for Sam. There's no other way around it as he struggled making good decisions, good throws. Was not all on him. There's a lot of blame to go around. But Sam was asked a question in the postgame press conference at Clemson, and he basically said, you know what, I'm not going to answer that. I'm just going to basically offer you a statement on my performance. So this was Sam Hartman from Saturday. Um, I mean, I think I would just not even answer your question. Uh, more of a statement. I mean, if if you guys want to blame, put anything on anyone, put it on me. Um, I mean, I, I played very poor today. Uh, didn't play well enough to be uh, to be a winning quarterback, to be a winning football team. Um, all the different situations, scenarios that we were in today is, is a partly my doing um, and, and really all my doing. Uh, I just didn't execute well enough. Um, so if you want to, you know, mention people on Twitter, you want to blame OCs, you want to blame Coach Coach Freeman, you know, blame me. I'm, I'm, I'm big enough and man enough to admit that, that I didn't play up to the standard that this team deserves, this fan base, um, this university deserves. Um, and, and that's the way it goes. That's the Saturdays of, of college football. And, um, you know, I'm going to stick my head up high that the fact that that, that happened. And we're going to bounce back. And the only thing I can give back to this program is, um, you know, the last two games, give everything I have and, and just play better. Um, you know, we had 
ample opportunities to score. We had ample opportunities um, to make plays, and, and frankly, I just didn't make them. And, and the guys around me were busting their butts. Guys stepped up. People got hurt, and um, you know, it, it just it wasn't good enough for me and, and for myself to, to go out there and play like I played, and, and that ended up in a loss. Well, I admire him doing that. He sure did not need to do that, but he said, you know, blame me for this particular outcome. He was 13 of 30 in this ballgame through the pick six. And, Allison, how much of this do you put on the shoulders of Sam Hartman? We sure don't put all the blame on him like he was trying to do in that press conference. No, and being there in that press conference, the first time he said it, it was impactful. And it was like, wow, you know, he really is taking this onus. And I I gave him respect for that. Then he did it every question almost after that. And it was like, okay, we got it. It's your fault, but you can, you still answer some of these questions so that we can get these, you know, get answers to questions and, and figure out what went wrong. Um, I do think that he, I mean, it, no, it was not a hundred percent his fault by any means. I, I, we've already talked about this, but Jared Parker's play calling was very questionable and disappointing at times throughout the game. Um, and let's not forget that the offensive line and center, ended up being the third string center in Ash and Craig at the end of the game because both Zeke Carell and Andrew Kristoffic were out uh, with injury. So, you know, you have to give him some some leeway in there. But at the end of the day, he was brought in to be the man. He was brought in as a sixth-year senior who last season against Clemson when he played for a, a mediocre team in Wake Forest threw for 337 yards and six touchdowns. Doesn't that tell you something? In a loss, <laughs> but still, he had those numbers, and then you look at what he did in this game, and it's, I mean, it was a just a, a dismal performance, really. And, and there were bad play calls, but there were also plenty of opportunities that he had where we have seen him make some of those plays and when he needed to, and he just didn't. He missed guys. He, he missed reads. He, so... That part of me, or that part for me, was disappointing, and I'm glad that he took some of that blame and took it off of his guys. But okay, now, how do you get better? It's a great question. <laughs> he that didn't is a answer great that. Question. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. We're getting a little short on time. I think you laid it out perfectly. I'm not going to repeat anything. So let me go to the next one. Marcus Freeman was asked after the game, where is the team right now? Obviously, they're 7-3 with two games left against Wake Forest and Stanford. We haven't reached our full potential, right? And that, you know, today's outcome is, is, is disappointing. But as I told them, we got to figure out why. Like, what happened on those three or four plays that, to me, you know, you talk about if you look at two plays, a pick six, and then the muff punt, that's 10 points, right? And it's never, you don't ever want to point your finger at just one or two individuals or a certain plays, but that's the difference in winning and losing in this game, right? You're talking about two plays resulting in 10 points for them. We can't do those things. So we got to make sure that I still believe in, in cause and effect. It's not luck. We didn't just muff the punt because we're unlucky. We didn't throw a pick six because we're unlucky. It's we got to figure out why that happened and and how do we fix it all right allison define this football team through 10 games well what i would like to see moving forward for the rest of the season are two dominating performances in two very winnable games against wake forest and stanford i'd like to see them when when have we seen sam hartman at his best 
in that two-minute drill, when they are going, they're running and gunning, they're letting him not think so much, we have now seen the recipe for disaster for him, and we saw it really against NC State, and that's laid the playbook out for defenses across the board moving forward. And it's it's putting pressure on him. He's not handling the pressure. He doesn't like it when it's slowed down. And so I'd like to see Sam maybe pick up the pace on that. Not Sam, but really Jared Parker yeah. pick up the pace on that play calling and that offense and allow Sam – to have a chance. Maybe he needs to drive back a little bit further. He doesn't have to be right up there. Maybe he can't see over the offensive line. Whatever it is, he's got a lot of factors sort of working against him right now. And I think it's time for them to kind of throw out what they've been doing because it's obviously not working. We were hoping that we were going to see coming out of that other bye week that they had all this time to self-scout and they were going to, you know, kind of figure it out. And if anything, they take another step forward and then they take another step back, if not two steps back against Clemson. So that's what I would like to see moving forward. Give him a shot at it. Let him do his thing. Let this offense start finding a way to click. And also, completely off topic, but... Who knew that Mitchell Evans, as a tight end, should still be the leading wide receiver and then him being out for the rest of the season would be such a disaster for this offense that the wide receivers are not able to step up in his absence. Audric Estime had five targets, the most catches, and the yeah. most receiving yards in that ball game. As the great Bill Parcells used to say, your record tells you who you are. And they're a 7-3 and three football team. Marcus Freeman told us they were not prepared properly before or after the Louisville game. And I wonder, late in the season, a lot of coaches change the practice plan. They maybe take a little load off the football team. This looked like a football team that was not fully prepared, locked in, not crisp in any facet of the football game. I just wonder if anything changed during the bye week. And on another subject, oftentimes in the press box, there are murmurs when something happens. So I don't know if you remember this or not, or if you noticed it, but with 2.30 to go in the fourth quarter, Notre Dame was deep in their own territory, down eight, and they were in a huddle. I'm like, why are they in a huddle? Why are they not picking up the pace? Did anyone say anything? Were there murmurs in the press box? Do you remember? I was actually down on the field at that okay. point. So no, I didn't get to hear what was happening in the press box, but I would have to imagine people were commenting. That's got to be the head coach telling them, guys, let's go. Right. Why? They were... Uh. No urgency. <sighs> okay. That's just another thing that popped into my head all of a sudden. <laughs> all right, finally, uh, let's do this. Marcus Freeman was asked, what's next? I think I, as I challenge the team, each individual has to look at themselves and say, okay, why am, why am I in this position I'm in? And what do I have to do to find a way to improve? Right? That's the message is that every individual, every coach and every player in that locker room has to own where we're at and what we got to do to improve. So that's schematically, that's an, as an individual, and then we got to go back to work. Like, there's no magic formula to improve, right? There's no magic formula. It's, it's hard work, and um, that's the only thing we know how to do, but it starts with owning where you're at and finding a better way to do what we do. Oh, there is a magical formula. You can change duties. You can change personnel. You can do several things during a bye week. Absolutely. You know, and one thing that, to his credit, last year, and we've talked about this, is that when there were opportunities for him to lose this team, right, when, yeah. and when the wheels start falling off, everybody could jump ship, and they didn't do that last year. And what I would like to see moving forward is that he doesn't lose them this year. Dabo Sweeney's team 
at four and four. On the brink. On the brink of losing three straight and back-to-back games against Notre Dame. Could have very well said, we're done. The season's over and everyone jumped ship. And they didn't. So now, what do these Notre Dame players do? Do they stay the course? Do they stand behind Marcus Freeman? I do feel like they will. I think that's, that's his strong suit. He is a player's coach. You hear him talk, and you want to run through a wall for him. It's yeah. just figuring out that combination then of, okay, you got the personality, you've got the recruiting, but you got to have the guys surrounding you because when you hire someone to be your head coach who's never been a head coach before, he's got to figure it out on the fly, on the job, and that's what he's currently doing, and we're seeing that play out. 557 at WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Along with ABC 57's Allison Hayes, Darren Pritchett with you, WSBT South Bend. Our Twitter question of the day from yesterday, which you can find at 960 Sports Beat. What was the biggest reason why the Irish lost to Clemson? 65.9% sent offensive play calling strategy. 30.7% passing game execution, 3.4% said an off day by the defense. Allison, which direction do you go? Is there D, all three? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you can make a fair point for, for all three, but more uh, A and B there in that scenario. Yep. But I think I'm going to go, I hate to do that and say it's all on Sam, but it's because it's not. But it's, it's just how do you pick one? It's really a combination of the game plan and then his execution on offense was just off. I mean, he admitted he had an off game. It was probably one of the worst of his career. All right. Today's question, which you can vote on right now at 960 Sports Beat. What is your best guess to this? Notre Dame will need to hire dot, dot, dot. Four choices. Number one, an offensive coordinator. Choice two, a defensive coordinator. Choice three, both. Choice four, neither. How do you vote? I'm going both for sure. Not because I think Al Golden is going to get fired by any means. I think he's going to have other opportunities that could take him away from Notre Dame, whether that be the NFL or a higher paying job um, in college football. I I don't want to see Al Golden go. I think he's done a a heck of a job here and I'd like to see him stay. Um, I do think that they're going to be needing to make a move most likely at offensive coordinator, whether that's within or searching from without. We talked off air about, yes, when that first choice fell through and it didn't work out, you're telling me you couldn't have found anybody else outside of the program, outside of Jared Parker. I think they just jumped the gun and went with the easy one that was from within to kind of stop the bleeding if you will, and uh, I think that's going to be something that's going to need to be corrected. We'd love to get your vote. Twitter X question of the day at 960 Sports Beat. Well, we have an off Saturday. No pregame shows, right? No pregame shows. I get to go to the Emmys, though. We got nominated nice. for uh, Best Sports Story, and I'm really super excited and proud of it. It's the story about actually Notre Dame running backs coach Dylan McCullough nice. discovering his birth father just so happened to be his college football coach that he looked up to as a, wow. a mentor his entire recruitment and, and throughout his whole life, and then 20-plus years later, through the power of social media and then DNA testing, they discovered it was him. It's just a remarkable story that absolutely needs to be made into a movie. How about that? Very, very cool. Well, good luck to you. Thank you. Very nice. 
Well, I enjoyed the conversation. Let's try it again next week as we head to a Notre Dame Wake Forest week. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. That's ABC 57's Allison Hayes. I'm Darren Pritchett. Coming up next, we will hear from Notre Dame hockey defenseman Ryan Seedham, new to the program from Harvard to Notre Dame. That conversation next on WSBT. If you It is eight minutes after six o'clock. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. The Notre Dame hockey team over the weekend went to State College, Pennsylvania and opened Big Ten Conference play by taking on number 17 Penn State. The two teams played to a pair of ties, 3-3 on Saturday. 2-2 on Sunday, Notre Dame won one of the two shootouts, so a three-point weekend on the road in Hockey Valley. The Fighting Irish come home to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes in Big Ten Conference play this weekend. Friday, it's a 7.30 faceoff at the Compton Family Ice Arena. Saturday's contest will start at 6 o'clock. You can hear both games on the Notre Dame radio network. I'll have the call on our sister station, Quality Rock 94.3. FM. I'm joined right now by a member of the Fighting Irish hockey team. It is Ryan Seedham, grad student defenseman, came to Notre Dame from Harvard, 6'3", 201, from Madison, New Jersey, already in 10 games, a goal, five assists, and six points, a big-time contributor to this Notre Dame hockey team. Ryan, it's a pleasure to talk to you. How are you this evening? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure to have you on the program. First, I got to ask you, I'm a little intimidated. You started at Harvard and now you're at Notre Dame. You like to challenge yourself academically, don't you? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Definitely uh, definitely spent my time in the library, but um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> what has the transition been like becoming a member of the Notre Dame family and the Fighting Irish hockey team? It's been super, super easy transition. Um, just, I mean, the way that we're treated here, all the facilities that Notre Dame has, uh, the school spirit, and just the coaches and my teammates have been great, uh, making the transition easy, and uh, it's been awesome so far. Ryan, what's it like to leave a program and come to a brand-new program where I'm assuming you probably don't know many, if any, members of the hockey team? What is that transition like? Yeah, it's definitely interesting because – uh, a lot of these guys have been together for a few years now, so um, similar to the, the new freshmen, I'm one of the new guys, so um, just try to do my best to meet the guys early. It was nice that we were all here in the summer, so we had a lot of time to get to know each other and stuff before uh, the real hockey picked up, um, but it's been it's been very easy. All the guys are awesome, and uh, we have a super close group. I'm curious, Ryan, when you were at Harvard and the world was going through COVID, the Ivy League did not play any sports for a year. So you were out of hockey for a year. How did you handle that? Did you spend a little time on the ice away from the hockey program trying to keep your skills up? Yeah, so that was definitely tough, um, not being able to play at school that year. But uh, I actually went back to the USHL and played for the – Fargo Force um, during that year because I was lucky. Uh, I was still young enough to play in the USHL, so I went there for the season um, where a bunch of my other Harvard teammates couldn't do that because they were above the age limit. Um, So I was lucky that I had a place to play. Obviously, I would have rather been at school, but 
uh, I made the most of that of that year. Notre Dame defenseman Ryan Seedham, my guest here on WSBT Radio. Ryan, how would you compare the strategy or what Notre Dame tries to accomplish compared to the system you were at with the Harvard hockey team? Yeah, I think um, I think the league that we play in here is a lot different than um, Harvard. I think Harvard, you have um, a lot of these older teams that are super physical, um, maybe not as much skill, but more um, just older, heavier guys that um, are super like strong on the puck and things like that. Uh, where here, obviously the Big Ten has a lot of super talented players. Um, so I think there's a lot of skill that is important to have um, and also just being able to like work as hard as you can all the time and, and try to win games that way too. But I think the skill that you face in the Big Ten is a lot is is more of a challenge than I than I was used to. Ryan, I remember talking to Drew Bavaro last year at this time, a young man who transferred from Bentley to Notre Dame, and he mentioned one of the reasons why he was interested in Notre Dame coming to the Big Ten and taking a big step up in competition. Now, Harvard plays great competition. They make the NCAA tournament most seasons, so that is a very skilled program. I'm just wondering, what was it about Notre Dame that ultimately led you to pick this Fighting Irish program? Yeah, I think uh, for me, yeah, I loved my time at Harvard. Um, we, we did have an awesome group there. We were super successful. Uh, we had a lot of great players that have gone on to play pro hockey, um, but yeah, for me, I think I, the Big Ten is is seems to me like the best league to play in. I think there's no weak teams in the Big Ten. Every team is very good, um, very skilled, uh, very fast. So I think for me, like I I really want to challenge um, and just like a bigger challenge to every night, every team you play, you know that you're gonna have your hands full. So I think um, it was it was a good step for me. Um, to move forward with my career. Ryan, what do you think you brought to this Fighting Irish hockey team? What in your skill set do you feel like is a a plus for this hockey team? Yeah, I think um, something that I bring is just um, my decision-making and um, the way I think. I think uh, I'm usually in the right position. I think I make um, smart plays. I think I'm good at breaking pucks out and – and also just being an older guy on the team this year, it allows me to bring maybe some new experience and um, leadership um, from coming from another program where maybe I can bring some extra things to our team here. Ryan, I've been really impressed with the way that you start transition from your own zone, your outlet passes. The games are starting to come together now, but you passed from your own defensive zone all the way to the offensive blue line, and you connected with Landon Slaggart, who went in on a breakaway and scored. That's just one of the passes that stands out, but what allows you to be so good at doing that? I'm assuming you have really good vision and understanding what the other team is trying to do. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of my strengths uh, is just um, like, seeing the ice and kind of uh, anticipating what other guys are going to do. And obviously I'm on the ice with some really great players. So I kind of know where they're going to be at certain times and Landon's always in the right spot. So um, I feel like we've connected a few times like that, but um, yeah, I think, I think just being on the ice with such great players, I think we can read off each other and, and I know where they're going to be usually. 
Ryan, you also are the point man and one of the power play units for this Fighting Irish hockey team. What is the key for you as a point man to get the power play where we want it to be with great scoring chances every time we get that advantage? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is uh, moving the puck quick. I think uh, being a threat to shoot from up top, but my game is I'm more of a facilitator, so I do like to set up other guys, but um, also being a threat, one of the shots there is important for me. Um, and also just sometimes, like even when we don't score, just generating momentum for the team uh, is huge. Take me back to last weekend, our opening Big Ten Conference Series on the road. As I've told our listening audience, you know this is a Notre Dame hockey team that has – a lot of experience, but there's also a lot of young guys, seven freshmen normally in the lineup for this Irish hockey team. And this was our first true road game of the season. The RIT game was neutral site. I would like to get your takeaway from the weekend, a come from behind tie on Saturday and then Sunday Penn State rally back from down two to tie that hockey game. What do you feel like you learned about your team? What did you guys do well that weekend against Penn State that you feel like can help you going forward? Yeah, well, I think one thing I've learned uh, through my time in college is just how hard it is to win on the road. Um, I think being home is such an advantage. So being able for us to get three out of six points on on the road against a good Penn State team is is a great way to start our season on the Big Ten. I think uh, even it's so easy to notice from the start of our season till now just how how much more comfortable the freshmen are and and how they've all developed into key contributors for us like top to bottom in the lineup I think our freshmen are fitting in great Um, you can see the talent they have and I think one thing that's super important for us is our depth and I think in all positions um, we have so much depth like we have guys that if if some of our top guys aren't having their best night we have other guys that can step up um, which is huge to have and I think we'll definitely need that going forward because a lot of stuff a lot happens during a long season, uh, we play 40 games or whatever it is. So there's definitely things that will happen where it's huge for us to have that that depth that we do have. Ryan Asidam is my guest, Notre Dame defenseman, joining me here on WSBT Radio. Ryan, we've got a great coaching staff that prepares you guys for each game. With that being said, you're at a new conference facing new teams. For example, you got Ohio State coming up this week. What are some of the things that you have to do or learn about the opposition since this is a team maybe you've never faced before or when you face them, it would be just like a non-conference game? Yeah, I think obviously every week we have a week to prepare. So there's a lot of pre-scout and and video that goes into it um, looking at their five-on-five play or their penalty killer power play. So I think this week uh, we've already started, but just um, start thinking about what they do, what their tendencies are, what they look for, um, and then just being able to be ready for that, be prepared. and just. But the most important thing is just playing our game, coming out strong, um, knowing that we have a group to, to beat any of the teams in our league. So just uh, being as prepared as we can. You've got the reigning Big Ten goaltender of the year behind you in Ryan Bischel. What have you learned about his skill set? And I'm wondering how much communication you have with the goaltender during the game as a defenseman. Yeah, I mean, um, goalies are always kind of in their own world. And <laughs> obviously, we let Bish do whatever he wants because he's, he's a rock back there. But um, 
Yeah, not too much talk during the game. I guess just um, like a nice save every once in a while. But uh, yeah, we know how good he is. We're, we're super lucky to have him, and um, he's he's always dialed in during the game. So we let him do his thing. But uh, we're super lucky to have him back there. And finally, just your experience being around the Compton Family Ice Arena, Lefty Smith Rink, the facilities deep inside of the facility. How much of a factor were those in picking the University of Notre Dame, and how much does it help you guys as hockey players to have such a, I guess, state-of-the-art type facility to use each and every day? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely like an awesome thing. Um, I was super excited about and I think – um, even a lot of things that you don't necessarily see as a fan, like obviously our rink is awesome and the ice is great and stands, but even the facilities we have that are just for like the players and coaches that fans don't necessarily see are just so top notch and um, like things that I'm, I wasn't really used to. So um, like, obviously we have everything we need um, to be successful and um, yeah, we just have awesome facilities. I'll leave you with this. I know the game is a big deal when Harvard takes on Yale in football. What's it like coming to a Notre Dame football game? Yeah, yeah, I was I was super excited to <laughs> see my first uh, football game. It definitely didn't disappoint at all. Um, I wish I wish we could even had more, but I was super lucky to go to five this year, and um, it was something that I'll never forget. Just walking into the stadium, seeing how much Irish. Um, like support there was and just the tradition behind it was was super special. Well, Ryan, we are really excited to have you as a part of this Notre Dame hockey family. Ryan Seedham and the Fighting Irish will take on Ohio State at the Compton Family Ice Arena Friday at 7.30, Saturday at 6. Get your tickets at fightingirish.com. We'd love to have you come out to the arena and check out the Fighting Irish coming off a good weekend at Penn State, now taking on a really good Ohio State team. And, Ryan, I greatly appreciate your time and your conversation this evening, and we will see you at the Compton on Friday. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you. That is Ryan Seedham, graduate student defenseman from Madison, New Jersey, joining me here on WSBT Radio. We'll take a timeout, 621 at WSBT. You don't know how to play first base. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, watch. It's incredibly hard. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Every time you play one off your hips, you owe me 40 sit-ups. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey, you guys. Don't throw me anything. My girlfriend put a curse on my glove. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. You lolly get the ball around the end. You know what that makes you. Hurry. Lolly get It is 629 on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960, WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. We have about 31 minutes left of Sports Speed for tonight. We have our sports wagering segment coming up at the end of the program. It's been a good month of November so far. 15, 5, and 2. Went 2 and 2 last night. Tonight, we've got an NBA game, two college basketball, and an NHL in our pick segment coming up in just a little bit here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Going to talk some baseball in a couple of moments because the Cubs have been making some surprising headlines over the last 28 hours or so. We'll get to that coming up in just a moment. But the Notre Dame basketball team made their debut last night 
And the first game for new head coach Micah Shrewsbury, the first regular season collegiate game for Penn High School's Marcus Burton, who was in the starting lineup for the Irish last night. And the team got off to a slow start in the first half. I'm sure there were some early jitters. I mean, this is a completely brand new basketball team other than, you know, a guy like Matt Zona and J.R. Konezny coming back for another go around. But just a lot of new faces on this basketball team as Micah Shrewsbury will try to build this program back up to get to the NCAA tournament and beyond. But last night, the Irish down early. They were down at halftime, 30-29, to but roared back in the second half, outscoring Niagara 41-33, to and the Irish closed out the Purple Eagles by a score of 70-63. to What a great performance by Burton as he set the all-time Notre Dame freshman debut record with 29 points. He played 34 of the 40 minutes And he was 11 of 20 from the field, 1 of 2 from the three-point line, 6 of 6 from the charity stripe, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 turnovers, and picked up just one personal foul in the contest. And Burton was one of two Irish players to score in double figures also last night. You had the freshman, 6'10", from Englewood, Colorado, Kerry Booth. He would... Drop in 10 points on four of eight shooting, but grabbed nine rebounds in 21 minutes of action. The Irish out-rebounded Niagara 35-29. to And Micah Shrewsbury gave a lot of credit to Niagara. They took away some things that Notre Dame wanted to do offensively last night. But ultimately, the Fighting Irish made some adjustments, got the ball through the hoop a little more in the second half, and walked away with an opening night victory in front of a Very nice crowd at Purcell Pavilion. It sounds like the students showed up in droves last night, which is wonderful to see. After the win over Niagara, right here on WSBT Radio as part of the Notre Dame Radio Network, new head coach Micah Shrewsbury had a conversation with the voice of the Irish basketball team, Tony Simeone. First game that counts for you here in South Bend. You guys were down early, thought you fought back really admirably what was your message in the locker room and how does it feel to be one and oh as the head coach at Notre Dame <laughs> I you know what I told those guys man we like winning's hard yeah. winning's hard man like like I've, I've coached I've coached at, at a lot of places um I've coached good teams I've coached bad teams <laughs> and like don't ever take winning for granted man we celebrate every single win every single win uh because of because of how hard it is, man. That was a old veteran team. Mm-hmm. Um, they they didn't, you know, we didn't have any film on them except for last year. They didn't have anybody back but two guys. Um, but the way our guys, like, you know, we were a little bit jittery. They threw some some tremendous wrinkles at us offensively that we hadn't seen. But I tell our guys, I can't coach both teams, man. They're allowed to do what they want to do. Yeah. And I thought we responded well and just kind of fought and fought and fought. I want to throw a stat at you. Marcus Burton now, he scored the most points in a freshman debut in Notre Dame history, more than LaFonso Ellis. He beat his record by two points. I thought he was outstanding for you in the second half. 18 of his 29 came in the second half. He was fearless going into the paint. Just what did you like from him tonight? What was a great debut for him? 
Yeah, kind of how they guarded us. They they took away a lot of our movement stuff, right? Like we want to move. We want to move the ball. We want to get it from side to side. We want to be a high assist team. They forced us to play one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, they stayed at home with shooters. They stayed at home on the outside. They switched a lot um, with their bigs and really forced you into a one-on-one game. And, you know, if you do that right now, you're just leaving the one guy by himself. And I thought um, I thought he got better as the game went on. I thought he was struggling early. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some opportunities where I thought he had some chances to finish or uh, a couple times to hit some guys in transition. But um, he's just so tough, man. He made some tough, tough plays and just kept spurring us and spurring us. So proud of him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny that I talked about that with Fonz this morning. Um, about freshman debuts, and, and I saw that he was the leading scorer, and we just said, not anymore. Oh, that's going to be tough for him to sleep tonight. Uh, <laughs> defense, I thought you guys put the clamps on late. They have a bucket here at the end when they kind of, you guys kind of said, don't foul. Oh, for the last six. You've stressed defense every time I've talked to you. How would you like the way your defense showed up, specifically the final four minutes when you held them to oh for the final six effectively? Yeah, we, we were – uh, we were jittery early. I, I still, like, even late in the game, I didn't think we guarded in our system the way we're supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. There were some missed opportunities that we were supposed to be switching and we didn't, um, and now we're behind plays. I, I think uh, we hit too many screens, right? Like, you know, we always talk about screens are on fire, man. Can't run into them. And I thought we hit way too many to give some of those guys some pull-up jumpers. So, um We'll get better. We'll clean yeah. it up, right? And you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm complaining. That we, you know, 63 points, but they controlled the tempo. They slowed it down and and made us play at their pace, which forced us to get a lot of stops. Yeah. Last one, the media timeout. It was timeout called by Niagara at 4:25. You guys went up 69, uh, or bigger pardon, 63:59, and you were out on the court here yelling at everyone to get up. You were so fired up. I see you right now. You. You're in a sweat. I, I love watching you coach. Where does that come from, and and where does that fire come from that you come out and you're telling people to get up the way that you were when you guys went ahead? I'm just a competitor, man. Uh, once that game starts and once it tips off, there's nothing else that matters more to me than helping our guys win. And I've seen how they worked, and I want them to, to you know, I want them to feel that success. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I get fired up, man. From jump ball to the end to the end whistle, I'm I'm fired up. And at that moment, I felt like we needed something, and the crowd was starting to get into it. Um, so I'm I'm never afraid to voice my opinion. Yeah, I'm never afraid to show enthusiasm, and it will not be the last time that that <laughs> happens either. And it was cool. The crowd. Was I, I appreciate that. They're like the the crowd, they did. They got behind us, man. When we needed it. Um, I appreciate everybody that came, like um, everybody, all the, all the, everybody from town, all the normal students or mm-hmm. the fans, like the student I thought had a good turnout. Um, I just kept saying it, man, give this team a chance. Let us, let us fight. Let us fight for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought they did that. And, and I'm so happy that um, and thankful that, that the crowd responded with. Micah Shrewsbury, new head coach of the Fighting Irish, his commentary with Tony Simeone after the game last night here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Another chance for Irish fans to check out this team at Purcell Pavilion Saturday at 2 o'clock. The Fighting Irish will take on Western Carolina. And with the Irish taking on Western Carolina, 
I'm hoping to send some folks to that game. So here's what we're going to do. On my Twitter X account, at 960 Sportsbeat, just a couple of moments ago, I posted information on how to win tickets to the Notre Dame-Western Carolina game. It's pretty simple. All you have to do is find that post at 960 Sportsbeat, reply to it that you would like to go. I will draw two names from all the people that reply to that post wanting to go to the game, and those two individuals will each win two tickets to go see Notre Dame and Western Carolina. So if you're interested in going and whether you have a Twitter account or not, if you have a Twitter account, find my account at 960 Sportsbeat. Reply. If you don't have a Twitter account, it's so easy. It takes a second. You don't have to follow everybody on Twitter. You can just be a part of this contest to win a couple of tickets to go see the Irish basketball team take on Western Carolina at Purcell Pavilion. Saturday at 2 o'clock. So good luck. Check out Twitter X at 960 Sportspeed. The Chicago Cubs made some big news. They made some big news happen. That's what I want to say. Yesterday, when they decided to change directions, David Ross, a World Series hero of the Cubs in 2016, I thought navigated things pretty well last year with this Cub team. He did not have a great bullpen to work with. The rotation was patchwork at times. And even though they struggled down the stretch, I thought he did a pretty good job. But I guess when an organization feels like you have a chance to upgrade anything within the organization, you do it. And yesterday the Cubs made the decision to fire manager David Ross and hire former Brewers manager Craig Council, a Notre Dame player and graduate. David Ross was blindsided by this, according to reports out of Chicago. I give Jed Hoyer a lot of credit, head of baseball operations for the Cubs. He flew down to Florida and gave Ross the news in person. I think that's a very professional thing to do, but according to reports, Ross was shocked by the news. Craig Council left the Brewers. He was looking to hit the jackpot as a free agent, and I think he did. After talking to the Guardians and the Mets, the Cubs were really under the radar in their pursuit of Council, and they made him the highest-paid manager in Major League Baseball history, which probably leads to the conversation, how important is a manager in Major League Baseball, how much of a difference can they make? You know, what I was always taught, managers have several very important responsibilities, more than anything else, controlling the locker room and also managing your bullpen, which might be the most difficult and challenging task. And things have really changed in baseball. As we all know, analytics, all the numbers involved in the game, basically direct the manager to their decisions. Some would argue the analytics offices and the general manager, they help the manager to decide what they are going to do in a game. For so long, there were gut decisions by managers in when to bring in a pitcher or when to take a pitcher out. But now the numbers seem to allow the manager – 
basically the heads up here. Here's what's going to happen in the game. We're not going to let this starting pitcher go a third time through the order, so he's going to be removed at this point, and we're going to probably go with this guy, or if this part of the order's up, we'll go with this guy. Everything's laid out. It is definitely a different game. As a Cardinal fan, I thought Tony LaRusso was one of the best. In fact, he invented the matchup bullpen that we see today, and a big reason why you now have to phase three batters in an inning before you are removed from the contest because Tony started the lefty-lefty, righty-righty matchup routine. But Tony was great at handling the bullpen. He was good in the locker room. Players have to execute. Managers can only push so many buttons. So can Craig Council make a difference? I think he's really good at handling his bullpen. Again, Rossi didn't have the best group to work with. Sometimes he had to use guys that he really didn't want to use, which puts the manager in a tough spot. So the Cubs made the decision. They're going with Craig Council. They take him away from Milwaukee, and there's a report today that stated that David Ross could be one of the leading candidates to get the Milwaukee Brewer job. It's been reported, Council, this is a dream job for him, and with the unlimited money that the Cubs have, maybe they don't always use, this is a great opportunity for Council to get deeper in the postseason, never made it to the World Series as manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. So a Notre Dame guy, Craig Council, now the manager of the Chicago Cubs, former Notre Dame coach Pat Murphy, who was a bench coach in Milwaukee. He's also a candidate for the Brewer job. Who knows if he doesn't get that? Maybe he comes to Wrigley Field along with Council. Free agency, let's roll. Very interesting offseason coming up in the National League Central. 644, I'm Darren Pritchett, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on WSBT Radio. Eric Hansen joins me to co-host the 5 o'clock hour tomorrow. We'll talk more Notre Dame football coming up next. Sports Wagering Talk, 644, on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 